Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Thank you, Andrew and praise team. Thanks, Pastor David, for leading us in the time of communion, worship. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. If you don't know, my name is Pastor Aaron. Aaron Varner, I have the great privilege of being the senior pastor here and excited to be able to bring with you to you um, a word from the Lord, from his word. And uh, it's funny how kids respond to different things. Um, Zach, before I came up here, he said, Dad, don't preach too long today. I said, okay. I said, I'm, I'm not planning on it. I said, but I want to I share what God wants me to share. I said, does that sound to you? good to you. He's like, yeah, but just don't make it too long. So um, excited to bring bring the word as we've gone through the book of Acts to be able to keep digging through this and digging in and seeing what truths that are, are not only um, true of the historical uh, narrative that this section really is. It gives us insights, uh, but also the application of our lives as we're living today and how, how God desires for us to live the truth. This isn't just about Paul and the way Paul lived his life. It's about you and I. How do how are we living our faith and our walk with Jesus Christ? And so excited to walk through this. Let's let's read if you would. It'll be up on the screen behind me, but if you have a text in front of you, I encourage you to open it with me. Acts 24, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through chapter 25 verse 12. Another larger section. I promise you it'll be smaller here in a couple weeks. Uh, we're just uh, getting some bigger chunks because they they flow together. It, it's better not to chop it all up. So let's let's read. Would you follow with me? Acts twenty four, verse one. And after five days, the high priest Ananias Ananias came down with some elders and spokesmen. One Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had summoned, and when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying. Since through you we enjoy much, much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made by this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. 
But I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tolment. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and make an accusation. Should they have anything against me? Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoings they found when I stood before the council, other than one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather acute knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysus the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusella, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. For he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had eclipsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcelus Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed amongst them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If them... If I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have applied. To Caesar you shall go. Will you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to spend this time together and Lord, just to dig in and, and to see, as we've read, Lord, um, this man, Paul, your servant, who you called to minister and to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. As we've read here, he's on trial once again. And Lord, I pray that you would take the truths that we see here 
as we look at our own lives, many of us are not on trial today. We don't sit here as condemned. We don't have to necessarily stand or to sit before a court or before authority and give an account of what we believe or how we've acted. And yet, Lord, we know that one day we will stand before you and we will give an account because there will be a judgment of both the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And so, Lord, as we examine our own lives and our hearts, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in our midst, that we would allow you the deep places of our heart and that you would take your light and illuminate our hearts. And if there is any wicked way in us, that you would clean us and make us right, that we would be quick to confess, to admit, to repent, to turn from our wickedness, our sin. Help us not to be proudful. Help us not to boast in our own strength. But Lord, as we see from this text, we get to boast in you. Guide and direct us during this time, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Acts 24 um, and the beginning of 25, you can see the second uh, kind of uh, account that Paul stands uh, before somebody going to be tried. This is, uh, this is more what we would say professional. This is an actual um, court hearing. That's why you see a representative uh, for the scribes, for those who are the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, and uh, Tertullus. And uh, as you see him, he's, pretty, he's a pretty smooth talker. And I don't want to uh, give a big, broad assumption of all attorneys. I won't do that, Steve. Um, but they are pretty good talkers, right? They have to be good talkers, and they have to know the law. And uh, Turtleist knows the law, and he is going to make a couple valid points. Um, a couple things before we dig in. One of the, one of the things that we could, we could easily miss is what, what do you see in verse 1? Chapter 24 says, After five days the high priest uh, Ananias came down with some elders and spokesmen, and a spokesman, one Turtleist. If you, if you don't know your geography, um, you might just quickly overlook this. But let me quickly tell you, um, where they're coming from in Jerusalem to where they are going, where are they going? Well, they're going to Caesarea, is not down. It's actually up. Again, we see this, and, and this is no mistake, and it should give us great, um, great excitement. And, and, and a sense of confidence in the word. So this isn't a geography lesson. Uh, this isn't necessarily about where Jerusalem is versus where Caesarea is. But let me tell you that when words are used in the Bible, they're used for a reason. We see this especially in the book of Genesis, where there is up and down, and it has nothing to do with geography, but it has to do with a picture of what is right versus what is wrong or evil, all right? And, and I don't think that Luke is using this to, to help us here to display what is right or wrong or evil or bad. I do believe that he is helping us to see, again, from a Jewish audience standpoint, where is home? Where is their base? It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. That's where the temple is. That's where they go. 
and, and where they sacrifice and where they gather in their pilgrimages. And so anywhere else is down. And so we see this, and Paul is, again, making reference for us and why it's so critical for the Jews and where Jerusalem fits in the importance of that. We see that all throughout the text of the Bible. We see that even when we get to the book of Revelation in the importance of Jerusalem, even in the end times. And so just a little information for you. Hopefully it's helpful as you look and as you read through the Bible, take notice and don't just assume that when it says that they go up or they go down, that that, that has to do with geography. It may have something more to do with what the author, or what the writer is trying to display here. All right. And so let's keep jumping in or I'll go really long like Zach didn't want me to go. Um, so they laid their case before their governor. They filed the paperwork that was going to need need to be happen. Uh, they've done that. And it says, verse 2, when they have summoned Tertullus, when he, uh, the governor, summon, summoned him, um, Tertullus begins to speak. And this is what he says. He says, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. And so, again, kind of a smooth talker here. Uh, Tertullus makes some, some main points here. He, he first says uh, that, listen, we've experienced much peace. That's important because what they are going to accuse Paul of. Paul is a rioter. He is creating um, uh, this, these riots. And what the governor has done and his laws has created peace. All right. And so the second thing that he says is not only have you given uh, much peace, but by your foresight, most excellence, reforms are being made uh, for this nation. Underneath this governor, all right, Felix, uh, the Jews... Uh, we're able to enjoy some things, um, and, and you can do some more historical reading about that. Uh, ultimately, what we see at the end of this chapter, though, is Felix is let go. And ultimately, Felix is let go as a governor uh, because he has some run-ins with the Jews. And he's actually going to kill some Jews um, in, in history. Documents tell us this. And so he's going to lose that position. All right, at this time, he's done the Jews well. And because of that, Caesar looks down upon him with favor. And, of course, the Jews would look at him with favor. All right, and he says, uh, in every way, verse 3, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. Even though the Jews would say that they didn't necessarily care for Felix, here in the court, they're going to speak highly of him. And the proclamation of everywhere and everything speaks more than just what has gone on Jerusalem. Because of the accusations of Paul, he has traveled to other places in the Roman province and, and, and authority. And, and he has created this uprising that isn't just in Jerusalem. And so these words here that... Uh, Tertullus uses, I think, are purposeful in how he is trying to attack and, and give his, his point of what Paul has done. So let's see, because now he jun jumps in because he says, 
I don't want to detain you no further um, like anybody like, hey, I don't want to bore you. I don't want to waste your time. Oh, judge. Oh, king. Listen, I'll be brief. Really? Okay, let's see. It's kind of like me saying that the sermon will be short today. Um, it says, you weren't supposed to laugh at that. All right. Um, it, it says, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. Verse 5, for we have found this man a plague. Have you ever been called a plague? Oof, that's probably not a good thing right? A plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. All right, so he's, he, he has this problem that he is affecting other people. That's what a plague does. A plague runs throughout, un, un, unstopped, all right? It runs through. That's what, that's what Paul is doing, and he's one who stirs up riots. Remember last week I told you that this word was going to be used, and you might make a reference back to chapter 23, verse 7, where the Jews are actually the ones causing the riots, and it's the same word that Dr. Luke uses here of the argument that Tertullus is using that Paul does, but the Jews actually were the ones causing the riots. Tertullus says, again, among all the Jews throughout the world. So this isn't just in Jerusalem. Their argument is from city to city to city. And we know that what we've read, what has Paul done? When he goes into the city, where does he first go? When he goes to proclaim the gospel, he goes to the synagogue first. So he does go from city to city, seeking first the Jew and then going to the Gentile. And so this argument has a little bit of truth that he has gone throughout the world to the Jews. And that he is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. The wording here would lead us to believe that just as you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so you have this Nazarites or the Nazarenes that would be a sect like the Pharisees or, or the Sadducees as we've studied and read. Paul is its leader. That's what the argument is here. Verse 6, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. Now, what's interesting about this is when you go back to what we studied a couple weeks ago about the accusation of Paul uh, defaming or defiling the, the temple, um, here the wording has changed a little bit. Paul was going to defile the temple here, whereas before he did defile because he brought this Gentile into the, the courts, the, the inner courts. No, here now, the, def the argument is, hey, Paul was going to defile the temple, but we were able to stop him. It's important because of what, how Paul is going to reply here. And it's also important because what we see here is a change of their story. Whenever there's a lie, whenever there's a false accusation, there's the, in order for it to grab root, usually they're, they're, they're trying to change the story in some way to make it stick. Verse 8, by examining him yourself, he finishes now, by examining him yourself, you are able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. So now it's your turn to listen to him. We've said our piece. So, that's not the end, though, because what Dr. Luke writes in verse 9, 
He says that the Jews also joined in the charge. Who are the Jews? Well, those who came with them. Look at verse 1. The high priest along with elders. So the Jewish leaders are there, and they don't want to just allow Tertullus to share his thoughts as the attorney. They're going to voice some of their displeasure and throw accusations as well. So verse 10, when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. What I find interesting here is the governor didn't say something to Paul. He just nodded to him, which is interesting. And I think, again, it speaks of what we're going to see here in a little bit, um, that, that Felix had an understanding of, of the way. What is the way? Well, Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That was the problem that the Jews had and the Jews still struggle with today, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Felix had some of this background. Uh, Dr. Luke records that for us. And so we get that kind of this hint like, okay, Felix is here. He's already had a, a written explanation um, from Claudius about Claudius's uh, investigation in that first kind of hearing way. Um, as, as Paul met with uh, the Jewish leaders. Um, so he has written to Felix to give him a, a background. Felix has heard this, so v Felix hears it again uh, from these guys of what their charges are, and now he looks at Paul and says, okay, just gives him a nod. It's your turn. Paul replies this, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, Paul knows it's not just Felix here in this area, which has been probably three, four, five years where Felix has led here um, as the governor. Felix has had other responsibilities before in other districts. And so Paul knows this because why? Because Paul's been traveling. Paul has probably had some kind of interaction or has known and heard of this guy, Felix. So he says, I've known for many years that you've been judge over this nation. I, cheer, I cheerfully make my defense. Why would Paul say that? Well, because he knows something. What does he know? He knows that this isn't brand new news to this judge or to this governor, Felix. Verse 11, you can verify that it is not with more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. When we look at this, this is a hard um, thing to pinpoint. And so you have to do a little research, and I'll let you come to your conclusion. Uh, I don't know if it's 12 actual days from the moment that Paul went into Jerusalem to where he is that day. Or maybe, it may be 12 days that Paul was actually in Jerusalem. And so I'll let you pinpoint that. All we know is it's not been a very long time. That's Paul's point. I wasn't there very long, 12 days. And for 12 days, I went to worship in Jerusalem. Verse 12, and they did not find me disputing with anybody or stirring up a crowd. That word disputing is actually a Greek word for teaching or preaching. Paul wasn't in Jerusalem preaching and teaching during this time. Which makes you go back to as Paul, when Paul met with the Jewish Christian leaders of the church in Jerusalem, what was their encouragement for him to do? It wasn't to go and preach and teach. It was actually that he would purify himself and that he would bring these four other um, um, men along and to pay for their ritual as their promise, their oath was coming to a completion. That he would go to the temple and be found 
clean. And so here, Paul is saying, I wasn't out preaching. I wasn't out teaching. No, I was in, I, I was where? They did not find me disputing with anybody or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or the synagogue or in the city. All three places, that's not where Paul was. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. Paul says, listen, they've thrown a lot of accusations and there's no proof behind what they're saying. But this I confess to you, verse 14, that according to the way, this term is going to be used twice here. It's used several times throughout the book of Acts. And it's critical and important as Paul shares the gospel and as we get an understanding of the gospel being spread from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. The way. What does that represent? Again, a text from the Old Testament prophesying about the Messiah who is coming. Jesus then proclaims in John, the Gospel of John, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says, but this I confess, that according to the way which they call a sect, okay, what we heard the argument against him was that what? He, that he was part of the Nazarenes, that he was the leader of the sect. Well, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So what Paul is saying is what is a legal matter is actually a religious matter. They're trying to make it a legal issue. It really is a religious issue. And he's saying, I've done everything that the law and the prophets, the religion of the Jews, have called me to do. And that there will be, um, he says there in verse 15, having a hope in God, which with these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul gives a little bit of uh, underline. He's saying, listen, these men would even agree with me in saying there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Why? Because they're Pharisees. The Sadducees probably aren't there now. That was back in Jerusalem when Paul was before them and they wanted to take him and beat him up. All right. That was the riot that was happening. Verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Paul said something similar in our text last week that just made them outrageous. That, that what? That what you've done, you feel like you're right before God? No. Why? Why would that make them so upset? Because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that, that God's son had actually come to save Israel. They were looking for the physical form of a king to rebuild their nation, both physically and spiritually as well. So verse 17, he says, Now after several years, I came to bring my alms to my nation and to present offerings. Paul probably brought offerings from other churches as he traveled to Asia and different, different churches uh, of Corinth and uh, Ephesus and Philippi, as he traveled, he was probably bringing uh, with him some of those offerings that had got, been gathered for the poor, for the church in Jerusalem. Paul says, I've been gone for several years. He wasn't in the city in Jerusalem, bringing a lot of people, trying to up, cause an uprise, okay? 
Again, his terminology is critical and important to his argument. He's saying, listen, I just came here after traveling places to bring my offering to the Lord. Verse 18, while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. So while Paul was arguing earlier where he was not and what he was not doing, now he gives a defense for what he was doing and where he was. While I was doing this, they found me what? Not impurified, not unclean. No, he had taken the steps that were needed religiously. Again, he's making this about the religion and not about the the, the legal law or the authority uh, of, of, the, of those who were in charge of the city. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tollment. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation. According to the law of the Romans, when you were in court, your accuser had to be there. They had to give witness and testimony of what took place. If there was no witness, then it got thrown out. And so Paul is making a case. Listen, the people who put me here, they're not even standing before you. The rest of that verse, verse 19, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Verse 20, or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. So since they're not there, Paul isn't asking it just to be thrown out, even though he has the capacity to ask for that. He says to them, okay, since they're not here, let these men give an account for what just took place in the argument before the council. What took place in the chapter before that we read. Other than this one thing, so there is nothing that they can prove that he did wrong except for one. What is that one thing? He lists it here in verse 21. This one thing that I cried out while standing amongst them. Remember, I talked to you about sitting versus standing, or he was able to stand on the steps as he gave proclamation of who Jesus was and how he was sharing the gospel. He says this, It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial before you this day. It's because Jesus, he believed that Jesus rose from the dead and his account was an encounter, a real living encounter with the Jesus who they had crucified. So that's what was wrong. Verse 22, but Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, this is what Dr. Luke, I told you it was hinted before in his writings that we actually get to see in writing now that Dr. Luke records for us. Felix has an understanding of the way. Why? Because of his wife. His wife has, is, is Jewish. His wife has that background, that, 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 that raising up as a child. And so um, he would have known and understood some of what, had been gone, going on for these years and the, the stories and the murmurings and the, the whispers. And so Felix has uh, a rather accurate knowledge. Dr. Luke could have said that he had some knowledge, but he says he has an accurate knowledge of the way. And so he would put them off saying, when Lysis uh, 
the tribune comes down, I will decide your way. And so who is this? Well, this is Claudius that we saw back in chapter 23 who had sent Paul there. Why? Because there was uh, a group of Jews who wanted to kill Paul. And he found out about that because Paul's family member, his nephew, heard this, found this out, told Paul. Paul told him to tell Claudius. Claudius sent him by night uh, to go to Caesarea and that then Felix would take over this case. So he says, Felix says, well, when Claudius comes up, then I'll decide. So Felix had the right to A, either at this point to declare him guilty B, find him not guilty, or C, try to gather more facts. He takes C to try to gather more facts, all right? And in doing so, he waits for Claudius because he feels like he's missing part of the story, just as Claudius felt like he was missing part of the story. And so he says, verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, who Paul would be kept in custody, but he would have some liberties and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. What we see here is that under Claudius, Claudius gave Paul some freedom when he was amongst the soldiers uh, while his time there uh, amongst the, um, uh, the council was going on. So Paul probably had the ability to be able to um, have some new clothes, to be able to have change of clothes, to, to have some food and other things. When Paul is moved up to Felix, though, we see the end of chapter 23, where Paul is then re- retained and he loses some of those privileges for a period of time. And so Paul is is to be guarded um, He commanded him to be guarded in Herod's uh, praetorium. And so Paul loses some of those privileges that he had before. But after this hearing that takes place, now it opens it back up. He, He allows Paul to have people come and visit him who would then be able to give Paul some of the things that he would need. Not just physically, probably some clothes, a change of clothes. Um, he, he was probably not able to go to the baths um, that were in the city because he was still under watch, um, but they were able to care for him. This also allowed him then to be able to have some of his scrolls and some of his writings. Paul, being a teacher, uh, being a writer, would now have uh, accessibility to these things, which we see from his other letters as he writes that he loves to have, that he wants to have. So, verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, um, Drusella, who was Jewish, which we talked about, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So, Paul gives testimony to Felix and to his wife. But something happens. Verse 25 we, we get the picture of the summary. Dr. Luke tells us what the summary of what Paul says. He says, he talks about these three things. He reasoned about righteousness. What do we know about Paul's writing about righteousness? Where does righteousness come from? It comes from God and only God. Our righteousness is not adequate enough, right? Um, he reasoned about righteousness, self-control. What was an issue during this time, especially amongst the Roman authorities and the Roman people? Self-control, right? They had problems with self-control. 
Well, when we read the, the scripture, especially the Old Testament, where does self-control come from? It doesn't come from you and I wanting or desiring to have it enough. It comes from the Spirit, right? A fruit of the Spirit is and self-control. All right, self-control is in that list. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's because the Spirit of God lives in us. And so Paul is making his case. We can kind of get a little insight here that he's speaking about Jesus and the need of accepting Jesus and what happens when we do accept Jesus and how we're able to have our lives changed. And then he says this, in the coming judgment. So you put the pieces together and you can start hearing Paul as he's talking to Felix and to his wife and sharing the gospel in these three areas of what's going on. Felix, though, he was responded in what? In belief, right? He accepted Jesus and he said, yes, and I'll let you go free. No, that's not what happened. Felix was alarmed. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Felix is alarmed because he realizes there's something deeper that's going on here. This is not a normal trial. This is not a normal case that's happening before him. And as Paul continues to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be even later in our text next week, these men... In authority, as they hear the gospel, they are close to accepting Jesus. But there's something prohibiting them. Because they even will say, Paul, if I listened to you a little more, you would have me become a follower just as you. So here's Felix. He's close. He hears the gospel, but he ultimately he rejects it. We don't know exactly why. We know that he has some struggles later on as we read historical documents, especially with the Jews. I wonder if it was his pride, though. I wonder if he felt like he wasn't good enough for God. I wonder if he had all the things then the wrong and bad things in the back of his mind that, that, that he just couldn't get past. I wonder what that's like for people today is... Maybe some of you, as you sit here and you hear, as Pastor David shared earlier, Jesus, God's son that came to this earth and lived a perfect and sinless life. And the fact that he died and he was buried and he rose again three days later, that his blood was sacrificed so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Have you accepted that? Do you believe in Jesus, the Messiah? The one that sets us free from the bondage of sin. From the chains that hold us to sin. Jesus can set us free. There's nothing else that can. And in him we have to trust. And we depend. I'm afraid that just like Felix was alarmed. There are a lot of people today who are alarmed. And then just push the gospel away. Don't let that be you. Felix also has some of his own interests in mind here. Because Paul's already talked about bringing some offerings, right? His alms and offerings to the temple. Um, Felix 
is willing to take a bribe, He's, which is not allowed. Again, it's not something that the Roman authorities are allowed to do. It was in their law. They, they were not allowed to do that. Um, yet he's willing to do that because of what our text says. Uh, verse 26, at the same time, he hoped that money would be given uh, him by Paul. And so he sent for him often and conversed with him. So Paul had ongoing conversations with Felix. Part of it wasn't because Felix liked the guy. I think Felix wanted to know if he had some money that he was going to put in his pocket. And the longer that he kept Paul, the more he hoped that it would be to his benefit. His benefit from not only a financial standpoint, but what we're going to see here from a benefit of also ruling over the Jews. And so we see here that at when two years, not two weeks, not two months, two years eclipse, Felix was succeeded by Porcelus Festus. And, des and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So again, when you read history, Felix is in trouble as he's being kicked out of this role and let go. Um, he, isn't, he isn't killed. He isn't held necessarily on trial, but he's removed from his authority as the governor here. And even as he's making decisions as he's being, being removed, he desires to make things right with the Jews. And so what is his desire? He wants to find favor with the Jews. And so what does he do? He leaves Paul here in prison. Quickly, let's go through these first 12 verses of chapter 25. It says, now three days after, we're going to look at Festus. Festus arrived in the province. He went up to Jerusalem. So Festus arrives. He's coming into the province. He stops where? He stops in Jerusalem first. Um, this is critical and important because of the role of Jerusalem in the midst of this province. And so if he's in charge of this province, you have to have Jerusalem on your side. And so he stops there. The chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. And so their desire right away as they're meeting with this new governor, hey, we have a favor to ask. Would you bring Paul down so that we may uh, have another uh, opportunity to try him amongst our council? Well, Festus knows a little bit more detail than what they think he knows. And so this, their desire, Dr. Luke again tells us very clearly what this desire is. It says, because they were planning to ambush him and to kill him on the way. Last week we saw in the text that there were some 40, over 40 men who took an oath that they would fast until they had killed Paul. What we know is it's been over two years. So did those men die from starvation? Uh, or are they still around? I would be led to believe they're still around because there's still a group of people that want to ambush him who have said, okay, even though we took that oath then, maybe it wasn't within our time, maybe God will deliver Paul to us now and we'll kill him. And so they talked to this Festus, desiring to bring him there. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, verse 4, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. Verse 5, so said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So there's that word down again. I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but it's important and critical. When we see this, uh, he says, ultimately, no, I'm not going to bring him. 
If you have a problem, you come. You who are authority uh, of the temple, of the Jewish uh, religion, you come and you can bring an account of him. Verse 6, after he stayed amongst them not more than eight or ten days, Again, Dr. Luke is probably not an eyewitness account here. He's getting information from other people. He says, hey, may have been eight, may have been ten. He just says, for a period of time, Festus was here in Jerusalem. He went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, and he ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. So what we see here is not, not a descriptive account that we've seen in the last two accounts. This is very general, mainly that they're, they're accusing him of many things, but the really the, the important part is they're not able to prove it. And so uh, Paul, verse 8, Paul argues in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. Paul's saying, listen, it's not just a religious thing. They want to make it something more. It is that, but even that, I have not committed anything wrong, even against Caesar. Now, again, let me encourage you to go back a few years and what was happening to Jesus. What hung upon, above Jesus on the cross? What was his accusation that they brought? That he was the king of the Jews. That he was causing these riots and this uprising. And so once again, we see Paul, a follower of the way, the one who is proclaiming the gospel, being accused of some of the same things that Jesus was. Which makes me wonder, and it makes me ponder, while we live in a different society today, would you be okay of being accused of some of the things that Jesus was accused of? Something to think about. Verse 9, he says to Festus, but Festus, or Festus says, but wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there to be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribune where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself very well known. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. Paul's saying, listen, if I did something wrong, I'll die for it. But I haven't done anything wrong. He says, if there is nothing in their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. Paul's saying, according to the rules and the law of the Romans, Paul had the right to have a guilty or not guilty verdict in the court there. He wasn't to be set free for another charge or another hearing somewhere down the line. Paul says, listen, here it is. I'm standing before you the tribunal of Caesar. And so Paul will say, I think Paul knew Festus had alternative motives. What were they? He wanted to do a favor to the Jews. Just as we saw earlier, Felix wanted to do a favor with the Jews. The sermon title today is, Who Are You Seeking to Do a Favor For? For Yourself? For your bank account, for your bottom line, 
I think we live sometimes and and our hopes and our desires are ultimately we want to try to please God, but ultimately we live in such a way that we want people's favor. And so we see here ultimately what will lead Paul of what we've already had a glimpse of because when the angel appeared to Paul, told him that he would be safe and that he would appear before Caesar. We already know that. And yet here it is. Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. A short sentence, but very, very strong. Because as a Roman citizen, Paul has just now said, I have the right and I demand not that you release me, but that you send me straight to Caesar. So then verse 12 tells us, then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, he answered, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. So next week we'll pick it up from there and move forward. I ask you, again, thinking about this, we see it twice in this text. The favor. Whose favor are you seeking? Let me encourage you, if you're looking for more of God's love, you won't get it because you already have it. We have the fullness of God's favor because of Jesus. And so we get to live in that. That gives us hope. That gives us strength. To be able to know that there is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God. And so we don't live today looking for the favor of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have the favor of God. We look for the end. Knowing, as we've read here, that there is a judgment. For the righteous and for the unrighteous. We will give an account for how we live our lives. So don't be seeking the favor of someone else. Seek God. His kingdom. And he says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. What are those things? I don't think that's a get rich. I'm going to give you everything you want. No, that's I'm going to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He's going to give us all that we need to live each day until we are united with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this time. We love you. May you take the word of your, that we've heard today and help it to penetrate our hearts and help us to live it out this day and the week ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name.